In this episode of the Cyberry Podcast, we sit down with Corey Siskind, the CEO of Base Operations. Speaking with Ryan Corey, the CEO of Cyberry, and Mike Gruen, the CISO of Cyberry, Corey explains how her company is working to help secure your global workforce. Uh, glad to have Corey Siskind here from Base Operations, CEO and founder of Base Operations. Um, Corey, thanks for joining us today. This is exciting. Thanks for having me. We also have Mike Gruen, Cyberry's VP of Engineering and CISO. Hi. Um, so let's kick off, Corey, with uh, maybe just an introduction about yourself, um, you know, a little bit of a background, and then uh, what Base Operations does. Sure. So my name is Corey Siskin. I'm the founder and CEO of Base Operations. So my background is mostly in international security, um, organized crime. I built my early career uh, in that industry, lived in Mexico City for a long time, um, serving as a geopolitical risk analyst. Um, And then I just sort of got this bug for technology and disrupting this industry, which is pretty old school. So um, I started Base Operations. And uh, Base is a company that helps um, other companies keep their global workforce safe and connected with our approach to crisis and risk management. So we have a dashboard for security personnel within um, a company that helps them do things like monitor their assets abroad, um, you know, do analysis with our proprietary data, um, coordinate crises. Uh, and then we have an app for employees that helps them get ready for a trip if they're traveling abroad um, to get ground truth to understand, you know, if they're traveling, especially in an emerging wow. market, what wow. it looks like, um, how to get safely from point A to point B, uh, geofence alerts, all these cool things that, you know, we can go to into further. But um, we're an early stage company uh, disrupting the the physical security market. That's awesome. That's awesome. So the, so the, would the, core buyer for your product be like a CSO at an organization? Yes. Is that how that works? Yeah. So it could be, it's typically a CSO, but mm-hmm. it might also be the head of global corporate travel, corporate security, gotcha. um, frequently head of intelligence as well, because there's a oh, big sort of data piece to what we do with sure. looking at um, sort of crime statistics over time and how that impacts business decisions. So yeah, that's sort of who we sell into. That's very cool. So where did the, uh, where did the idea come from? How did the company start? Yeah. So um, I I mentioned that in my early career, I worked in Mexico City for a company called Control Risk, which is sort of the market leader in um, helping facilitate entry of other companies into emerging markets, like how to deal with the complexities of operating in, in countries with high crime rates, high corruption rates. Um, So I I worked in that industry. I loved it. Um, Really interesting work. And I'm really passionate about bringing business to emerging markets. But um, there was this persistent problem, which was just that... um, nobody knew what was going on from a data perspective. Like I would spend all day, every day looking at YouTube videos of like what cartels were doing and drawing maps of, you know, the Zetas are here and the Gulf cartel is here and and that sort of thing. But it was all very like, you know, finger in the air, just this, this feels like what this is happening. And we, it wasn't scientific. It wasn't comprehensive. We weren't using web scraping or natural language processing or all these really cool technologies. And the CIA doesn't just make that available. (laughs) (laughs) Even I, well, I I think even government is not as advanced as you'd want them to be. It's a really hard problem to solve, right? Like you have underreporting rates. People don't report crimes because they don't like in a, mostly in emerging markets, but they don't have confidence that the local police force can do anything about it. There's violence against journalists. Um, there's, you know, just there's corruption, manipulation of statistics. So you have the situation where you have really high crime rates 
and nobody knows what's going on. So it's everybody, you know, sort of chatting over WhatsApp um, and saying like, hey, this area is getting worse or I'm seeing this over here, but it's totally decentralized. There's nowhere you can look that up. There's nowhere that makes that intuitive and and searchable. So that's what we built. So sort of uh, corporate and it could actually go into other sort of, you know, sectors or whatever, but, but, uh, safety and security was, was was a really unmet problem, right. That was probably getting worse and worse. Mm -hmm. And you realize that data and, and the world of, uh, you know, all around us, the, uh, the technology world all around us has the ability to serve this very differently than it did before. Yep. Absolutely. That's fantastic. So, Mm -hmm. um, how did you get the company off the ground? Yeah. So I worked in Mexico in security, as I mentioned for a while, and I had this idea, um, sort of, you know, bubbling up, but I, I never went, I never saw myself as an entrepreneur. That was not sort of the path that I was expecting. So I spent some time in security and then I moved to just regular management consulting, yep. but still based in Mexico city and traveling all around, um, Latin America for different projects. Um, I had one experience where I was on a project in Guatemala city, um, and a bunch of my, you know, company, a bunch of my colleagues, uh, took an, uh, a taxi to a restaurant and they had sort of, we had no preparation for being in Guatemala city. We didn't know what the environment was like. Um, and they were stopped by an armed gunman, um, and you know, laptops stolen, phones stolen, oh, the whole thing. Everyone was okay, luckily, but everyone in that car ended up leaving the company within a year or two, wow. just because of sort of the stress of that event. Sure. And, right. um, and so Can't I can't blame them. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so being sent into a market like that was sort of no preparation. And, yeah. and yeah. um, yep. so I, uh, went from management consulting to, I did this, um, graduate program at Harvard and MIT and public policy and business. Um, and there just sort of snowballed. I had an idea that a professor said, you know, he, he thought it was interesting. He thought I should pitch and, and, um, recruit a team. So I did that. We won a business plan competition. All of a sudden we were sort of picking up all this non-dilutive capital to build a prototype. Um, when I was at MIT partnered up with some great computer scientists, data scientists, and, um, we were building something. Microsoft heard about it. They thought it was really interesting. So they gave us, um, uh, $50,000 worth of legal services and a wow. team of amazing patent That's lawyers. Wow. We filed a patent. Um, and then when I was still in school, we started, um, speaking with investors and then I figured, you know, this is, this is a real thing. So let's go, let's go for it. That's wow. really awesome. Wow. So yeah. when, when was that? Can you paint, uh, mm. tell us where, where in time was that? That yeah. like when you were getting the non-dilutive capital and mm-hmm. so on. So in, um, I think summer 2017, um, we took a really shoddy prototype and spent the summer in Mexico driving around with like Uber drivers and having them use it and seeing if this was something that people really wanted. Um, even though it was like the simplest version of what we wanted to build eventually. And they were just kind of taken aback. They're like, there's nothing like this right now. We're using eight different things to build this product. You know, we're using ways and friends three or, you know, life 360 to see where everyone is. Um, we're using WhatsApp to talk to each other, but what we really want is like something that aggregates all of this information that we're sharing with each other and turns it into actionable advice. Like how do you get from point A to point B? How do you, you know, send me a geofence when I'm in a geofence alert, when I'm in the area where there's a crime happening, um, that sort of thing. So that's incredible. So you had, um, you had basically a little, just a sliver 
of market validation mm -hmm. from that type of work that you did. You know, yeah. for Cyberary, for us, it was, okay, well, we have a, you know, a crazy idea to give away a lot of free training. Mm -hmm. um, and we launched it in January of mm -hmm. 2015. And then by like March, we had about 30,000 users it's already amazing. out of the gate. And that was that yeah. same window there where you like, you see it and it's like, okay, mm -hmm. I don't have any of this figured out at all. Yeah. Really don't know what we're getting ourselves into in any way. Mm -hmm. um, but there's something there. There's yeah. that little sliver of hope. And so, um, I'll, I'll come back to that little sliver of hope for us as it relates to an investor that we both share, mm -hmm. uh, who was very important in our, our upbringing. Mm -hmm. um, but why don't you tell us, so it kind of went from a little bit of market validation mm -hmm. to obviously, you know, you had some traction and it got you into a startup accelerator called mm -hmm. Techstars, which for those of you that don't know, Techstars is um, probably the most, arguably the most prestigious startup accelerator in the world. They have a variety of different locations. Um, so why don't you tell us kind of how you went from the, that skosh of market validation to, to Techstars and then what happened next? Yeah. And that, that really early validation, mm -hmm. you know, we weren't even focused on do companies want to buy this? You know, we were really just focused on is you know, we feel deeply that this is a need in the market that's unsolved. Do people like it? Do everyday yeah, people? And, right, yep. and someday if we want to expand this beyond just selling into companies to, you know, mass market, something that people could buy, is this, you know, meeting that that need? So we took that initial validation and it was kind of, the response was explosive, like what we yeah. saw over the summer um, in Mexico like with how much, awesome. how much people liked it. Um, and so just, again, kept snowballing that, more competitions, more um, feedback and, and support. And then uh, when I graduated from this graduate program, Program in 2018, I think even before graduation, we'd started Techstars. Um, and gotcha. so we, we went, the five of us, um, down to Austin, Texas. We did mm -hmm. uh, Techstars in Austin um, and spent three very hot months in Austin uh. um, baking under the Texan sun. But yeah, just going full force into building an enterprise platform. So we'd sort of validated the essential concept. Yep. And now we wanted to see how do we make this something that uh, companies, security departments can use every day with their international, with their thousands of people based all around the world to help them prevent crises. And then if a crisis does happen to manage it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Okay. Very neat. So, um, some of the things that we've done here that have really caused inflection points for us is, is really good, strong product discovery, mm -hmm. right? When you really get down, you find out who your ideal customer profile yeah. is and you figure out who you're going to be selling to and you figure out how this thing can uniquely develop, um, deliver them value. Mm -hmm. what, wh where did you guys do that sort of product mm -hmm. discovery work? What did that look like? Were there any aha moments? And then who ended up or how did you end up coming to your ideal customer profile? Yeah. Um, some of our early adopters helped us learn a lot about, um, you know, if, if you look at the the crossing the chasm perspective, like who's who's in it first, mm -hmm. that's who, you know, we've been working with so far. Um, and that's a, a, a big Fortune 50 insurance company. Um, that's a global 100 energy company that we've become very close wow. to. Um, and we were able to run pilots with them uh, last year, 2018 and, and sort of uh, 2019 and into 2020 um, and just learned so much about what parts of our technology are actually the most meaningful for yep. them. And it's, you yep. know, um, not always the things that you think, right? Like sure. people, oh, yeah, absolutely. something that you yep. thought was just sort of a basic, of course, this is going to be included for them as the, the essence yep. or something that you think is so cool. They actually don't need. Yeah. Yeah. So we got a lot of that kind of feedback. Um, and then similarly, uh, you know, we were, 
we went really deep with our early pilot customers into yep. what does success mean for you, right? Yeah, and yeah. so we had all these metrics. We had six different buckets of things we wanted to measure. And then within those, like four different, you know, we're going to look at all of these metrics. Um, and we went through and just through, you know, the, the two major pilots we've had with Fortune 500s just hit like 95 to 100% of the metrics that, you know, they had defined awesome. with us. Um, and so we, that's when we were, that was sort of an aha moment of like, okay, this was their definition of success and yeah. we blew it out of the water. Did that work happen at Techstars? And, and then also in an extension of that question, like what did Techstars actually do for you guys? Mm. Techstars um, really drove a metrics driven approach into how we do things. So um, they were really instrumental in uh, encouraging us to have certain metrics that we look at week over week right. and we hold ourselves accountable to, yep. you know, whether it's sales and growth of the funnel through different stages or whether it's certain elements of product um, product development, which can be harder to quantify, yes. um, but looking at things like, you know, customer satisfaction scores and um, like uh, crash rates and all these different things. So sure. we are now just a much more quantitative company because of our, our time in Techstars. Um, and then also Techstars was amazing for just, if you're a bunch of students and you're a relatively young company or early stage company, they provide kind of a management la layer of all these advisors, um, who, you know, are people that I still talk, I still talk to the managing director of my program, Zoe, every week, talked to her yesterday. Oh, wow. Um, and they provide like sort of that extra accountability. And if you're in my case, building a company for the first time, yeah. someone you can ask just sort of basic questions that someone else might know really well, but you know, how should I structure this commission element of this, you know, contract or yeah. like really specific things that you can just bounce ideas off of. And so you're not so alone in the process. Yeah. Guidance is huge. Yeah. Uh, the network is huge as well. That's, mm -hmm. that's really, really important stuff. Um, so we, we sh I just mentioned this, but, mm -hmm. uh, we share a, uh, a similar investor in, mm -hmm. in a gentleman named Justin label, mm -hmm. who I think I mentioned oh, this to you recently was the first believer in mm -hmm. us, the first mm -hmm. person to actually see that there was something here, mm -hmm. um, and led our first, uh, I think, yeah, he led our first round, mm -hmm. uh, which was an angel round in 2015, late mm -hmm. 2015. Um, so how did Justin come into the picture? And why don't you tell us the good news about a recent funding round of your, your own? Yeah, yeah. Justin is is so great, and he's a huge fan of what you're doing. He said that when we were, I had lunch with him the other day, and he said the most exciting thing he's doing right now is watching Cyberry Grill. Oh, awesome. Yeah, so huge fan of you guys. Um, uh, Justin came in later into our round, so we raised a pre-seed round, which was led by Glass Wing Ventures in, in Boston. Um, also Spiro Ventures in San Francisco participated. Uh, Good Growth Capital um, in Charleston Magma Partners, which is in Chile. So they are sort of uh, oh, our Latin American yeah. presence and they're yeah, super sense. helpful in that way. Um, and then lots of other amazing angels, like people that come from industry that, you know, just really believed in what we were doing and wanted us, wanted it to move forward. Yep. Um, so yeah, that was, you know, we're, we were really excited about who joined the round. Um, I think Justin found us actually through an article in DC Inno um, and reached uh, out to me. He saw that Glasswing had invested and, and they're close. So yeah, that's how, that's how it happened. And he's, you know, he's a really decisive guy. I think he, yes. we met twice and he said, I'm in. Um, if Justin goes and makes an investment and if you're ever in a, in a position where you like to make, you want to invest in companies, just follow Justin mm, because yeah. he's kind of the startup whisperer. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Um, so the team today is split between two cities, mm -hmm. Boston and then DC. Yeah. What brought you to DC? Cause you got your roots in Boston. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so what brought you here? 
Yeah, I have roots in most cities that are more like uh, entrepreneurial focused than DC, actually. So I'm from San Francisco oh, sure. and yeah. um, did most, you know, my graduate education in Boston, which is also a great, great uh, startup city. Um, but DC is, I really am bullish on DC for secure tech and, you know, building cyber and physical security companies yep. here. And then also for us, we sell into companies, global security operations centers. And so if I, you know, the, some of the, biggest tech companies in San Francisco, if I want to go talk to their GSOC, their Global Security Operations Center, I'd have to go to Arlington. Um, so uh, our customers are here. Yeah. So it, it just makes sense. And I think what we're doing has a lot of implications, not just for companies, security departments, but eventually for the intelligence community, for um, diplomats, uh, international organizations, that sort of thing. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Great, great. How did you guys end up here? Can I ask a question back? Oh, I'm from here. Oh, yeah. So it's very boring. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I grew up here. Um, I went to uh, undergrad in North Carolina, in North Carolina mm -hmm. and then moved back. And um, But yeah, this this area, this the D.C. region mm -hmm. um, being just so like so cyber, mm -hmm. you know, focused, um, it helped me. It, I eventually sort of my career just went that direction. Yeah. And uh, it developed a really strong network mm -hmm. of local, like great cyber talent. Mm -hmm. um, and that's that that came in very useful when we wanted to get this thing off the ground. We sought out to get, you know, something in the range of like 15 or so core cybersecurity courses out at by launch. Mm -hmm. So we just went to our network and brought those people in. They were extremely in instrumental in, in getting us here. People like Georgia Wideman, um, uh, Kelly Handerhan, some folks like that. So cool. that's why we're here. Um, I want to hear about the technology mm -hmm. a little bit. So I know uh, that's generally Mike's department <laughs> over mine. Sure. So yeah, so um, you mentioned that you pull data from lots of different places. I'm curious, like sort of about the data sources and how you pull it all together. Yeah, so we talked a little bit about the problem statement, which is just that in emerging markets where you have the highest crime rates, you also have the least amount of data about what's going on. So that's sort of the you know the the real problem that that we were focused on. And in my time working as a security analyst, I would informally gather information from lots of different sources. So I'd look at sort of government websites. I'd look at um, Twitter and blogs, but I just, you know, I figured there's a much more technologically advanced way to do this. So now our platform more automatically gathers information from various sources. So we pull from, from government statistical institutes, which, well, I'll go through all of them, government, um, local news, social media, and then data from partnerships. Um, and for government statistics, governments frequently have like a wealth of information, but it's really hard to get to, especially in these emerging markets where it's like behind a really antiquated web interface. Yeah. So we do a lot of work with, um, accessing data that's hard to get to. Um, and then, you know, mining social media, mining local news sites, uh, and then getting all sorts of interesting data sets from, from partners. Like we're working on a partnership with a journalistic organization that has people based all over the world and, and a bunch of companies have their own data sets. So if they'll share them with us, you know, we can work on, we can have a partnership together. So aggregating all of this information and then visualizing it in ways that are really intuitive and easy to use. So we have a, a heat map interface that you can sort of mm. zoom out and go, you know, get a, a full city perspective. If you're in Mexico City, Sao Paulo, like, you know, a city like that, you can see the whole city and see sort of where the hot spots are and how, you know, if, where the airport is in comparison to your hotel and like what, you know, what that might mean for you. Um, and then you can zoom way in on, on, you know, your block and see what are frequent 
events that happen in your area, things that, you know, if you're in a pretty safe area, but there's a lot of muggings in the evening, you know, that's something you might want to be aware of. And we're really into pattern analysis. So looking at seasonality, time of day, Mexico City, for example, in the second week of December has a major spike in crime because everyone's just received their Christmas bonus and there's more like cash moving around the city. Oh, wow. I'm glad Jonathan's there now. (laughs) (laughs) My infrastructure. Oh, really? Okay. Tell him that. No, I'm just kidding. Um, he's, he's in the clear. He's in January. Um, but just like being able to, you know, not only have a general idea of where in the city things are happening and, um, you know, even that can be very dynamic when you're dealing with a heavy organized crime presence and you have cartels that are fighting for control of different neighborhoods. So like that shifts in a really dynamic way. Um, but then also looking at, you know, crime spikes in the summer or downtown Sao Paulo is fine during the day, but at night it gets really dangerous. So having a sense of, um, you know, just in time information, super relevant, uh, and then giving you the, so what on top of that information. So routing you safely from the airport to your hotel or the client site or your house or wherever, um, geofence alerts, like basically not just freaking you out and overloading you with a bunch of information, but helping you make decisions that, that keep you safer. So I'm curious about the social media part. Mm-hmm. So uh, a couple companies ago, I worked on a natural language processing. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a government product mm-hmm. uh, for them to use to identify areas, um, mostly in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there were like language issues that we ran into and I'm curious like how you guys are sort of solving that, how you pick what markets you're in, like Mm -hmm. what cities you're, you're sort of, I can only imagine you don't do every single city. Yeah. So yeah, that's a fair (laughs) assumption. Um, we'd like to, so the the vision is certainly global. Um, we have, uh, like an algorithm that helps us decide what cities to go into and we look at four different um, categories of information to decide where to go. We looked at we look at homicide rate per hundred thousand as like a proxy for general crime. We look at um, city GDP. So like, is this a big enough city that you know organ that um, uh, international business is based there? Uh, we look at their ranking on Transparency International's index. So is it like a low information environment? And then we make some exceptions for like where our, our customers are. Right. Um, but because of that, we've started mostly in Latin America. Like Latin America was what fits a lot of that profile. Um, and so to your language question, we've been lucky so far with mostly Spanish and Portuguese. Right. Um, but obviously working in different languages is, is a challenge and, um, you know, learning, getting better at, at crafting algorithms that can learn slang. So there's like, you know, five different ways to say kidnapping in Mexico alone. Oh, so wow. like right. picking up on all of that and um, getting smarter with with how we mine information. So yeah, it's a challenge. Yeah, I actually happened to be in a briefing where we were demonstrating our ability to uh, ingest Twitter mm-hmm. data right as the Arab Spring was starting. Mm-hmm. And a couple people had to leave the room because stuff was actually happening. It was oh, pretty wow. amazing. It was, we couldn't have picked a better time to do a demo, but yeah, um, that's wild. Yeah, wow. Yeah, um, and then so how much? So do users have the ability to also push information to you about what they're seeing and how does that yeah, sort of work? Definitely. So they can report into us, um, and that's a great source of of information, especially real time information. Um, initially, so well, right now we're really focused on um, our enterprise suite of products. So most most of our customers are employees of companies or security professionals within a company. Um, but in the you know long-term roadmap, we'd also like to launch a version for locals that's really focused on them reporting in. And we've piloted that um, in Mexico before and had, had great response. So that's just one more way that we can add more real-time you know, data from locals. 
That's pretty cool. And then you also mentioned for, for so for my perspective, I mentioned that I have uh, a guy on my team. He's mm-hmm. uh, essentially a digital nomad, um, mm-hmm. cloud native, whatever you want to call them, mm-hmm. um, who's traveling all the time, um, keeping track of sort of what's going on in the cities where he's going is giving me insight. Is that something that your product's able to do? Sure. Absolutely. So um, typically the the user from the company perspective is twofold. It's the um, security department. So typically in the GSOC, the Global Security Operations Center, and they'll have that up on a big screen and they can dive in and do analysis to not just see where their assets are globally um, and if they're in close proximity to crime and manage crises like, a, you know, the protests in Hong Kong, getting people to safety, et cetera. Um, but they can also use our proprietary data to think about where should we build an office? Where should we house teams? Oh, that's really interesting. Um, yeah. Eventually, we'd love to work more with logistics companies. Like, how do we route um, safely from, you know, uh, freight, for example, which has huge levels of theft? Yeah. Um, so that's kind of what the security department is seeing. And then your employees are, like, they have an app that has these dynamic maps. They can switch between cities. Um, and then it's all built around the so what, like I mentioned. Right. It's all built around um, how do you make this actionable and relevant for for people's lives. So if he was your asset, you could go, you know, into the security department and say, like, you know, where is he? How's he doing? Let's say an, a giant, a, just um, a massive earthquake happened in Mexico City, right. which has happened many times while I was there, um, <laughs> and it's like total chaos for companies. You know, we worked with one company that has uh, fifteen hundred people in in an office in Mexico City. It took them eight days to get in touch with everyone um, to, you know, get a count of where people were, wow. if they needed resources. And then also, you know, you want to make sure your people are safe. And then you also want to make sure that you're getting back to business as soon as possible because yeah. all, all the productivity lost um, in an event like that. So we help companies, once something does happen, get a count of people quickly mm-hmm. um, and then get back to business continuity. Interesting. And then I imagine you tie into other, I mean, there's like insurance companies that offer travel insurance internationally and stuff like that. Do you partner with them? How do you sort of work with those companies that also offer similar services of there's something happening in this area? Let's help pull your people out. Yeah, I think, you know, integrations are so key in security, especially if, you know, we, we want to be a part of the entire value chain. Mm-hmm. Um, and so partnerships are, are something that, you know, it's in the works. Okay, It's early days. I don't think yeah. we actually covered how large the company is right yeah. now. So we're small. We're early stage. We are five people. Um, but because we just raised this round, we'll be making some key hires and building out the DC office, which I'm, I'm excited about because it's been a little lonely down here. <laughs> oh, yeah. Awesome. yeah. What, what are those next hires? I'm thinking. Yeah. So we'll be bringing in more people on the sales front to augment, uh, you know, our, our activities there. Time time to work to go to market for sure. Yep. We landed on a feature set that we're really excited about. There's so much more we can do with the technology, but right now for where we are, companies are getting a lot of value out of what we built already. So we, it's time to just get it into the hands of more customers. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. How do you deal with that challenge of sort of saying no, right? I mean, like that's the, I think the key to any Mm. early stage company is being focused and knowing that like, yeah, we can do all of these things, but we're not going to do those things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just an ongoing challenge, right? For everyone. (laughs) Um, I think we ask ourselves all the time, is this, is there a critical mass on this feedback? And we actually have a really great experts committee um, that has um, security personnel from a lot of uh, top Fortune 500 companies. And we're not selling to them. We just go to them and we say, we built 
like if we built this thing, would you use it? And we do just a lot of surveys with them. Um, and that way we sort of suss out, is this something that only this company wants and we're going to spend a ton of time building it and it's really only for them? Or is this something that, you know, 75% of our companies are pretty interested in. So that's mostly how we do it with with us in terms of the, that distraction. I think that's a really important thing for, for, for companies to stay focused on. Um, for us, it was end user security awareness. Mm. So in 2015, you know, we had all these users coming in and some of them would, would reach and fill out some contact forms. And, and so we started seeing like, Hey, we need this for, you know, 5,000 people for end user security awareness. And, um, and so at first you look at it and you're like, no, that's not what we do. So, Mm -hmm. but then you start to see it over and over again. And we started to see it over and over and over and over. Mm -hmm. And it really pulls you pretty hard. Mm -hmm. Um, so fortunately, like we didn't, spend too much time on that. We, we, you know, now like we still get those inquiries all the time, all the time, but it's always just quick. Oh, nope. Sorry. It's not what we do. Right. And you have to move on. It's, it's tough though. Yeah. It's very hard because like when you're, you know, I I don't come from sales. I come from technically more of the product side because I was always an analyst creating these security products um, for companies. And so I'm getting up to speed on sales and reading every book and, you know, practicing everything. And, um, the temp- I always want to say yes, right? That's right. like the yeah. temptation. But I think being focused is the most important thing. It also, is. similarly, being able to suss out when customers are a right now customer or they're like a, they're just sort of you know exploring yeah. and and being yep. able to differentiate that and like you know be really hard be strict with with who you think is a serious prospect Absolutely. and who's someone for maybe next year. Right. There, there's plenty of people that'll say, yeah, no, if you built that, I, I'd buy that. But exactly. the fact is, they you could build it and they still won't buy it. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. So then you're like, would you it. pay us to, right. buy it, to build it right now? <laughs> write, right. Me, write me a check. Yeah. <laughs> right. We'll see. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, anything more on the uh, tech, Mike? Uh, no, I, I mean, I think that I, well, maybe one question would be what was some of the biggest challenge? Like what was the big challenge that you guys faced with, with from a technology perspective? Yeah. So, um, I think one of the things that's hard about what we do is we are showing people, really intense, scary information. Sure. Um, and so we think a lot about design and how can we communicate through design that this is a decision-making tool. It's not meant to freak you out with too much information. So we've done a lot of simple changes, something even as small as changing the color scale of our heat map. So a typical, you know, a traditional heat map has a red to to green or a red to blue scale. And we found that when people saw red neighborhoods, it was just too overwhelming and, and they were wow. moving beyond the factual and they were, it was just causing stress. And, and we don't want to be um, a product that stresses people out. We right. want to be, like I mentioned before, sort of like the cue from James Bond, like we're, we're the technology source powering you through your, your day to day. And so we ended up changing our color scale. Um, and we have so much information. How do we decide how much information to give our end users who are, you know, not necessarily security people? How much do we give to security people um, so that they can make decisions but not be overwhelmed by thousands of crimes that are happening in these cities and a million different ways to filter it and and see different perspectives? So um, actually just the UI element of what we do and and um, optimizing that is something we think about all the time. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it really hadn't occurred to me the like the scare factor, mm-hmm. but that makes a ton of sense now that you say it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you also mentioned the alerting. Um, if I have somebody abroad and I'm back at the GSOC, do mm-hmm. I get also alerts when they're in areas and stuff like that? Yeah, that's customizable to the company. So 
some companies want to know everything and, or they want to group it. Like they want to know everything that their C-suite is doing, um, because you know, they have different priorities. Um, or some are way more hands off, um, and they don't want to know. So you can receive alerts that's customizable for the company basically. And I imagine there's a lot of balancing between what alerts do you send to the individual that's there versus allowing maybe somebody back a little further away from the action to help make some decisions that are maybe a little broader for the whole group that's there. Yeah, totally. And you have different profiles, like you have security geeks like me and my team that would want to know everything that's happening. And then you have people that really only want to know if it's something massive that's going to impact them. And so we're working on um, like a risk tolerance scale so that you could just Hmm. really easily say, you know, just tell me the major stuff or, you know, I'm going to this new place and I don't know where I am and I want to know a lot. So we're working on sort of, um, how do we accommodate those different preferences? I could also see that changing over time where once you get to an area, maybe that's, you're new to the area, we're going to be a little bit more hands-on. And then as you've been there for a longer period of time, maybe just scaling it back. Absolutely. Because what we've really built is a product for the entire global workforce. It's not just for a business traveler who's going somewhere for a week. It's also for people that live in these markets. Right. Right. So different tolerance there. Yep. Super cool. Yeah. So it's uh, it's off to go to market next. You're mm-hmm. still in the stage where you're you're doing a lot of, I guess, your majority of your time is product work, right? Mm-hmm. So the discovery, talking to the customers, potential yeah. customers, and figuring that stuff out. Um, you know, I, I can tell you with 100% certainty that the road ahead is not an easy one. Mm. Uh, but it sounds like you have some amazing technology. You've definitely got the uh, the chops to do this. Uh, I'm sure the grit is down there, you know, somewhere, you know, inside there too, which, uh, which is critical. Uh, Best of luck as you go and build the company, you know, but um, Corey Siskind, the CEO and founder of Base Operations. This was fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. Thank you for coming on. All right. Thanks. Hey, this is Thor. Thanks for listening to the Cyberry podcast and make sure to check back next Wednesday for our newest episode.